Well, hey everyone, and welcome to the Manacast, conversations about a vision of life that is truly good news for us, for our neighbours, and for the world. My name is Jacob Garrett, and with me, as always, is Jonathan Cornford. Hi, folks. If you've just stumbled across this podcast, welcome. Manacast is the podcast of an organisation called Managum. It's all about talking about the intersection of Christian faith with ecology and economics. This means sometimes we'll, on the show, tackle big-picture topics like macroeconomic systems, capitalism, things like that. But we also think it's equally important to talk about how these things connect with daily life, the implications of them for us, because that's the thing we have most control over. On this episode, we're doing just that. We're going to dig up the moral and social minefield that is the notion of ethical consumption. But first, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we live on. I'm talking to you today from my bedroom in Wurundjeri country, in the heart of Nam, north of Melbourne CBD. And I'm talking to you from Jarjawurrung land in central Victoria on a very frosty central Victorian morning, but thankfully the sun is out and shining strongly now. Yeah, it's the same here, actually. Perfect blue skies after some chilly late autumn days. Yeah, well, I reckon winter has come with a vengeance now. We're, we're well past autumn. Yes, yeah, unfortunately. We'd like to acknowledge these peoples as the traditional custodians of these lands. We pay respects to their elders, past and present. Before we get into our discussion also, we'd like to say that this podcast isn't going to be a how-to episode on ethical consumption. We both think that there are much better resources and forums for that, including many articles on Mana Matters over the years. Jonathan's also got a couple of recent books, Coming Back to Earth and Coming Home, that talk a lot about ethical consumption. And there's also things like the Shop Ethical Book or the app or Baptist World Aid Ethical Shopping Guide. You can find more info on most of those things at managum.org.au. What we're going to talk about today is more the challenges and the risks involved in trying to buy and use things in a way that considers their overall impact. And Jonathan, when you and I were discussing it to brainstorm for this episode, we realized that we've come to this topic from pretty different directions in terms of our life experience. I'm a 28-year-old living in inner Melbourne. I've pretty much grown up on the wave of the modern ethical consumption movement, but I know that wasn't quite the same for you. No, not exactly. <laughs> so I, I grew up, um, my, I was raised in redneck country, essentially. So my, um, uh, my primary school years were spent in the gold fields of Western Australia. I grew up in a small mining town just south of Kalgoorlie. Um, not exactly a heartland of cosmopolitan culture, you might say. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, oh, I loved it, actually. Um, but So that's where I grew up. And then my high school and university years were in Townsville, North Queensland. Again, not a, another bastion of inner urban culture. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's where I grew up. So what was the prompt then? How did, how did you get into thinking about what we might call today ethical consumption? Yeah, it was, it's a good question because we, we um, it probably took us a while to get there. So, um, so uh, Kim and I, uh, uh, we got married in the mid nineties, and um, so we were already pretty committed to social justice as an expression of our faith. Uh, and as part of our commitment to social justice, we um, we had made a decision to uh, 
live simply. So when we got married, that was one of our, our commitments to each other was to, to live simply, the idea of living simply so that others uh, might simply live. And our idea of that was fairly simple to start with. Um, and that pr- pretty much meant living on a low income. Um, and and that to start with, that meant we we lived really cheaply. And that was back in the days of, um, I don't know, do you ever come across the Franklin's supermarkets, Jacob? Oh, I think when I was a kid, there was one or two. Yeah, they don't exist days. anymore. So they were like the basically a, a supermarket that just had um, uh, black and gold brand or black and white brand, um, generic brand products, everything super cheap and you pack the bags yourself, shock horror. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, so that's what we, we, we just ate really cheaply, uh, because, you know, we're li- trying to live off a low income. Um, then as we sort of journeyed in our, um, I, I guess, uh, our faith journey around exploring justice and that involved time overseas and that involved, then we moved to Melbourne and, uh, involved time with Christian communities here and then reading a lot. We started to realize that actually living simply was a bit more complicated than that. Uh, and there's uh, a lot of the impacts, and I'd seen this um, being in Southeast Asia, uh, a lot of the impacts that the the affluent world has on the developing world is through the forms of consumption and our, our demand for cheap consumption uh, and how socially and environmentally destructive that can be, especially in the developing world, but also in our own countries. Uh, started to realize that actually just buying the cheapest product wasn't necessarily the best thing we could do to uh, serve our global neighbors or to help the planet. And so that started us on the long journey. We had a couple of good friends who were um, way ahead of the curve of everyone else on this. And in fact, so one of the, the friends we, be, we uh, people we came in contact with is a guy called Nick Ray. He was part of the Christian network we were part of, and he was one of he's the founder of the Shop Ethical Guide, actually. Right. Uh, and so it was through people like that and other others around us having conversations where we started to get into this journey of uh, learning to ask the questions about what's the story behind the product, where did it come from, how were people treated, uh, how was uh, the uh, the environment treated. Uh, what's the company's record on human rights issues, those sorts of things. And we started to begin to make choices to choose uh, where we could uh, products that had um, better uh, companies that had better records or products where we knew um, they were, it was done well. Um, we're already, um, we, we'd been aware of fair trade products for a long time. So we were already um, au fait with that, but, uh, so basically it became a deepening journey of starting to explore what does it mean uh, as because we are effectively forced to be consumers, we don't produce our own food. We don't produce most of the stuff we use. So what does it mean to be consumers who are taking care for our consumption? So that's how we got into it. What about you? Yeah, well, I guess I feel like it was kind of the water I was swimming in growing up. Uh, not to the same degree maybe it is today, but at the same time, growing up in Brunswick in Melbourne is kind of like the epicenter of uh, thoughtful consumption and and as well as all the bad things that go along with that, of like conspicuous ethical uh, positioning and whatever that I'm sure we'll get into a bit. But it definitely means that it's it's out there and it's on the radar. Everyone's 
billing things in those sorts of terms. Um, you can't really walk down Sydney Road, the main drag in Brunswick, and not understand that that's a thing that people are angling for. Mm. Um, so I guess for me, it's more been like, where should my, my priorities be? It's always been on the radar, but I don't know how to navigate the territory. And I guess that's that's sort of, I guess, still where I am today to a degree. It's just what are the what are the things to focus on? Because as you say, we're forced to be consumers and we consume so much more than it feels like we have time to research and, and look into sometimes. So what are the what are the first things and what are the second things, I suppose? Mm. So it's things like palm oil maybe gets like a big ticket. People people that's now on the social consciousness. Um and people talk about like sweatshops and and um modern slavery and things like that. But then there's also like what about transport miles? What about packaging? What about the company itself versus like this product as such and all those sorts of things. Like it gets quite fine grained and hard to prioritize sometimes. Sure. And and that's I guess that's one of the things um we'll need to get into because I reckon that's you know, the the thing is it's a it's um it's like the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? It just goes down and down. Mm. Um once you start to there's endless sorts of questions we can ask. Um before we go do go there, should we just say something um, just to make clear? When we talk about ethical consumption, what are the sorts of things we mean? So you've you've named some of them. Uh, you talked about um, palm oil coming up, and I've talked about fair trade, and that's uh, effectively we're talking about uh, food that has some sort of certification with it, uh, 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 and that's become a thing. So that when I grew up, that wasn't a thing at all, except for fair trade and even that wasn't certified fair trade to start with it was just uh there was a, a brand called trade winds uh tea and then later coffee but it wasn't uh, certified in the early days and now that we've got all these certified products we've talked about choosing brands what are uh, other things that we we probably have in mind for this conversation jacob when we're talking about ethical consumption yeah i mean it's it's kind of a vague term so like i mean i might think of um, my choice to ride my bike more than drive as much as an ethical consumption choice. But for other people, it's just about what you buy. Um, so there's kind of like, there's an overlap, I guess, with our episode on living simply or living with less. Um, the ethical consumption isn't simply in my mind, what you buy versus buying another thing, but also whether you buy and how much you buy and whether you're exploring other strategies instead of that. So it might even be ethical Home production could be a an offshoot of ethical consumption, I suppose. Yeah, and it, that's there's so many different things we can uh, bring into it. You know, a, a key part of ethical consumption is also people trying to just buy more locally, so not necessarily anything certified, but from people they know or from producers they know, uh, and in that way you've you've got contact with the stories, uh, or simply things where people are choosing. Um, less packaging with their products. So there's all there's a whole bunch of things we could can mean and and perhaps at some points in this conversation we're going to need to sometimes we'll be talking about the whole lot and other points we might be talking about specific bits of it so maybe we we might just need to to stay clear about what exactly we're talking about as we as we go along. Yeah, I think I I mean, yeah, it really is a minefield. So we'll just we'll do our best to toss these ideas around. 
So uh, you've already started to, when, when you started talking, you, you started already filling us in that once you start um, getting into the journey, there's all these things to weigh and consider. Uh, and, and that's, I think, a common experience. Do you want to say some more about, uh, how, about that side of your experience of ethical consumption? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's really not my favorite. And I know that for many people, it's very demotivating that it can it can often, as soon as you look into it, feel like you're just doing something less wrong rather than actually good uh, because we feel so locked into this um, process and system of this is how we get our food or this is how we get our other stuff. And there doesn't really seem to be the best option that's doing it great, especially that's affordable. I know that's a big problem for many people and myself included is like, if you're going in the supermarket even still and you see the organic carrots that are $5 a kilo versus the other carrots that are $2 for one and a half kilos, you think, oh man, like, is it really worth my dollars to take Mm. that hit, you know, groceries day after day, week after week, just so somewhere there's organic carrots being grown instead of industrially produced carrots. It's pretty hard to motivate yourself to spend the extra money when the when the 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 visible payoff is zero and the mm-hmm. the visible cost is very apparent. And yes. you know, whether it's clothes as well, all sorts of things. It always feels like, oh well, this is the right thing, but it's expensive, or I don't really know what the right thing is. And I can't really be bothered today thinking about it or I can't really be bothered finding the time to look into this company versus that company. I just want my carrots or I just want a jacket or whatever it is. I I think it can be quite exhausting trying to approach consumption in this, in this everything is interrogated kind of way. Yeah. And, and have you found what ways have you, uh, have you resolved that or have you resolved that and what ways uh, would have, other responses have you had to try and work through that? Yeah, I mean, one of my goals is to outsource some of the stuff that I don't enjoy doing. So I find it quite tiresome trying to think about how to source food well. And so if I've got other people in my life who are doing that work, they can tell me what's a good brand or what's a good place to get food in our local area or whatever. So like I found out about a food co-op that's run out of a local church, um, thanks to a housemate of mine. And I guess another strategy is just buying less stuff because then you have fewer decisions to think about. <laughs> so mm, that goes yeah. that goes back to the living simply idea. But it's also kind of tricky, and I haven't fully resolved this one either, that as soon as you participate in something that we're calling ethical consumption, there's like this kind of counter reaction to many people that like, oh, look at this person, that they're doing they're doing the right thing, aren't they so righteous and holy? And there's kind of like, it's, there's a reverse judgment that can go both ways. It's like, I could, I could end up judging some people for doing whatever the black and gold product. And haven't they thought about it? But also people can judge someone like me, who's maybe trying to think about it and go, Oh, look at this guy. Who does he think he is? And it gets in this kind of deadlock of performative ethics and everyone's feeling attacked no matter what they're doing and it just seems like such a such a minefield socially Mm. yeah i reckon one of the things we need to um unpack is um right at the heart of you know the the motivation stuff you're talking about is the reasons why why people uh, get into ethical consumption because i think that is in terms of 
our experience of it that I reckon that is pretty core because what you're talking about the one the just that the intellectual difficulty of you know all the things you got to you got to find out and figure out um uh so it's a, a journey of discovery required there but then the, there's the trade-offs and how you feel about that especially when it's the cost mm. <laughs> as you you mentioned with the carrots becomes so apparent um and i reckon one of the things that makes it really hard is that the idea that is i reckon often very implicit in people's understanding of ethical consumption without it ever being unsaid is the idea that I'm trying to do things right, by which we mean not wrong. Mm. And it's interesting to um, to think about where that comes from, what who, who's right and who, who's wrong, because especially for Christians, um, when they think of, in those categories, the the ultimate categories for thinking about right or wrong is God, right? Mm. Uh, and so, you know, ultimately it becomes a question, um, I'm trying to do uh, the right thing by God because God wants me to do this because it's either the fair or the just thing or the, the it's the right thing to do. But that that becomes a question, you know, I'm, I'm jumping through hoops for God, uh, which is... Um, yeah, a burdensome thing to do, and and that's uh, be that's what in the the language of the New Testament, you know, is something like uh, salvation by works. Um, mm. This idea there's certain sorts of things that we have to do to keep God happy, and even more negatively, to put it, uh, is to stay on God's, uh, t- to not get in His wrong side, mm, uh, to make God less angry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I reckon it, that's a, um, I mean, we're put, I'm putting that in fairly caricatured terms, but I reckon some of those sorts of attitudes and orientations are, are very commonly at, uh, involved in how people come at ethical consumption, even if it's not the whole story that's sort of mixed up in there. And it's, I, it's actually, I, I think, a really um, life uh, crushing framework, and it's ultimately demotivating. Demotivating. It's hard to sustain practices like that when you're, uh, it's an, an ultimately uh, a negative thing. So I think that, that one of the core questions that we're, we're starting to get to uh, in ethical consumption, it, it, well, actually, to, for it to mean anything, we have to ask, what is ethics? Which is the question, where does right and wrong come from and what does it mean anyway? And, and, and generally, you know, what we have in mind not just so Christians particularly strongly, but actually I think this is generalized in the secular world too. Strangely enough is that ethics is around being pure. It's around staying clean, you know, so making sure I don't do the wrong thing. So in a lot of ways, ethics is about me, you know, it's about my actions and, and being able to claim something, which in new Testament language, you know, that that's being justified by what I do, literally self-justification. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's a pretty um, core thing in terms of how we think about uh, Christian faith, where the, the core contention is that there's only one way in which we're justified, and that's uh, by being joined to Christ. And it can totally get into like the the boxes and categories, even like we see in the New Testament, you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're counterposed with the tax collectors and sinners in air quotes. 
And I think it's quite easy to think, oh, well, if I buy this product or don't buy that product or do this in that way, I'm in the good category. Yes. And people that do otherwise are in the bad category. I mean, I even remember an advertising campaign for grilled hamburgers, if you know that chain. Yeah. They they started advertising their burgers as righteous burgers. So there it is, there it is right in the name yes. that they go, if you shop here, you'll be in the good category, unlike all those other people that eat presumably unrighteous burgers. Yeah, and look, we're, we're right into the heart of New Testament territory as soon as we get into this stuff because this stuff was actually pretty cool. One of the things um, I think we misunderstand the Pharisees in the New Testament is to think of, uh, often... Uh, we we just think of them as the bad guys in the gospels, right? Mm. But actually, in their world of the world, the ancient world that they and the ancient Jewish world that they lived in, they were sort of like the the reformers in Judaism. So it was the Sadducees who were the who were the old guard, the conservatives who were sort of protecting their turf, uh, protecting their privileges, and it was the Sadducee, uh, sorry, the Pharisees who were trying to reform the system to make it a a much more broadly um, broadly acceptable and uh, democratic faith is not the right word, but but a faith that was more accessible to to more people. Mm. Uh, and one of the ways they did that was to to turn it from being people who had to just make sacrifices at the temple, which benefited the Sadducees, to setting a whole series of um, of conduct by which uh, ethic we let's call it ethics by which we live. So we you could. You could perform your Judaism, if you like, by by your ethics, uh, and what that became was a series of of rules. And so we can see immediately that once we're starting to get into the the landscape of ethical consumption, we're skirting on very very closely to the sorts of territory that the uh, that the Pharisees were in. So I say that as someone who entirely is as I've said, supports ethical consumption. But it's important, to, I think, to realise um, the sort of landscape that we're in once once we get into it because right at the heart of the, the sort of New Testament struggle between Jesus and the Pharisees and Paul and the Judaizers, for example, in, in his letters, is the question around um, how we do ethics because one way to get it wrong is so many Protestants have done for a while now for a few hundred years to, is to go well jesus and paul were against the law so we don't do ethics if you like uh, we don't mm. need rules uh we don't need to think about that stuff because it's jesus who justifies us and we're justified and we're not doing anything else for anyone yeah. <laughs> and it's like well the pharisees actually in some ways had good motivations in that they're seeking righteousness that's a good thing to seek it's just it can't be found in our own power alone so so I think it, it, it's really helpful to frame it in terms of these New Testament uh, categories because I think that's exactly even, you know, 2,000 years on, we're still basically struggling with the same stuff. Mm. Mm. And there's still the same policing that goes on in groups as well where someone's going, oh, if you want to be good, you've got to do it this way and let me tell you, or or we're policing ourselves as well in that sort of way we talked about psychologically where we think, oh, no, I hope I'm good enough. Let me let me make sure I do this. Yeah, and 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 so, and I know that's something that you've talked about uh, in terms of uh, how that works in groups, how ethical consumption. Uh, you just talked about before how it's performative and and what what the effects that are on 
uh, how he mixes groups and socially. Do you want to say some more about that, Jacob? Sure. I guess for me, the the clear example is eating because everybody eats and you can't really get around it. Um, I love meat. It's my favorite food, whatever meat it is. I think it's delicious. And I don't know, like six or seven years ago now, I made the decision to go what we might call mostly vegetarian. Um, I had a few exceptions, like if someone's throwing out the food, but it's still good to eat, I'll eat it. Um, And a hospitality exception, which is like, if it's super, super rude, and the person doesn't know that I'm vegetarian and the alternative is I just don't eat their food when I'm at their house or something. Um, I'll make an exception there, but it was otherwise pretty strict vegetarianism. And these days I'm somewhere between vegetarianism and veganism. And it's interesting when you occupy that, uh, designation, which is not something I'm happy about, but it's useful. Um, because otherwise on catering forms or whatever, you have to say, oh, I'd prefer not to for these reasons or only in these ways. Um, when you say, oh, I'm vego, people often respond by telling me why they eat meat and why it's okay. It's like, I didn't ask. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I wasn't even saying that you should. <laughs> like, there's this implied judgment or implied assessment of, of what's right that then people suddenly can feel defensive about. Um, but also, like, we see... There's good reason for feeling defensive because a lot of people, particularly the more extreme side of veganism, say, is quite outspoken and quite aggressive and in people's faces about how veganism's the right way and everything else is doing it wrong. Sure. And so kind of fair enough that people feel the need to justify themselves, I suppose, mm. um, even when I'm not doing anything to say you should do it this way. There's this I do it this way, therefore you ought to implication that they're taking from it Mm. which like is kind of true in the sense that if i've made the decision to do it one way unless someone else's situation is is relatively or is relevantly different um you know they've got a different health setup or whatever they're working with if they're more or less the same position as me if i have chosen this i guess i'm saying that they should consider it too so i kind of get where they're coming from yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's a, it, it sets up and we're increasingly in a context where there's so many um, different consciences around and but food is, you know, uh, right at the heart of it. It's interesting. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think just as an aside, as we enter uh, this, uh, let's call it a post-secular, post-modern world, post-Christian, uh, <laughs> that the more we get, uh, we're surrounded by all these posts, uh, the more actually the really basic stuff around uh, ethics and eating, for example, and how we eat together becomes more and more complicated. And I reckon that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I've I've got a situation at the moment where I live with two other people and I don't eat meat and I mostly don't eat dairy. And one of my housemates eats everything theoretically, but has pretty strong taste preferences against certain foods. <laughs> And one of my other housemates no eats pretty sprouts. much everything. Well, yeah, that kind of thing. Like certain veggies are off the table, <laughs> that kind of thing. And one of my other housemates is pretty open. Um, there's like one or two things she doesn't like. And we sit down to eat a meal together. And it makes most sense in that situation for one of us to cook. But if I'm going no meat, no dairy, then someone who eats those things has to completely throw out their recipe book and suddenly go, oh, man. How do I cook a tasty meal that we'll all enjoy so that Jacob's happy as well? Or I'm cooking and I go, oh man, I would normally use 
zucchini, but I can't use zucchini for this dish or I can't use whatever it is. Mm. And the the range of possible dishes and options is is narrowed in that situation because <laughs> we're all trying to cater to each other's needs and desires. Yeah. And yeah, it feels like not the best way to go, but it's hard to see a better way forward that is I don't know. Like like I say, I don't like the vegetarianism label or the vegan label or any of these personally. But they're useful in the sense that nobody t- seems to respect your desire to to do things differently if you don't have a label. If mm-hmm. you just go, oh, I eat meat less or I only meet cer- eat certain kinds of meat, people go, oh, well, no worries. Just eat meat this time or this time or this time. And then it becomes the same as everyone else. Oh, I see. So so it doesn't get catered for, you mean, in terms of when you say no one respects it, is that if you, you don't say you're vego, then um, people just keep serving you meat. Yeah, and it's like that um, policing thing too, where I've had people go, oh, you eat meat sometimes in certain circumstances. You're not really vegetarian. And I go, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I'm not really concerned about the name. The name I just thought was useful for trying to help people understand where I'm at with it. But you get people who aren't even vegetarian themselves policing my desire to do things in a certain way, saying, well, if you're vegetarian, that means this, you ought to do it this way. And that's a good example of where actually I'm just going to guess that, the, you know, the basic reason, some of the reasons that you're choosing not to eat meat is one, because of uh, the way that animals are treated in industrial food system. Is that one of them, Jacob? Yeah, that definitely wasn't the leading one when I got into it, though. Was it um, climate change? Yeah, that was the main one. Yeah. So so the impact of uh, uh, you're thinking particularly about the impact of um grazing and uh, animal emissions especially from beef on climate and land clearing yeah, things water like usage yeah. all that sort of stuff yeah okay so uh you know that they're if they're the reasons you you get into not eating meat and yet um so you're trying to avoid something because of the harm an industry is doing in the mm. world the the easiest categories and the the, the flip two categories that most people have have around thinking about that is um, is to not eat meat because it's therefore it's bad. It becomes a purity position. So uh, you either do it or you don't. And you, ethics is about having these these lines of sort of like binary switches of on and or, on or off, good or bad, uh, pure or impure, rather than a, a much more fine grained contextual view of what is this doing in the world? What does this particular action do in the world? Uh, and what do, what is its impacts, and how should I place myself within this world of action and reaction, and for to seek the good of the other, to seek the good of my neighbour, to seek the good of the earth? What is the best way I can work for? In the New Testament, Paul talks about peace, and by that he means shalom. He means everything in right relationship to each other, which is so. That's effectively I. I when, so um, the, all these questions come up actually quite sharply in the New Testament. So you see it in uh, 1 Corinthians around the uh, uh, chapters around um, 8 and 10, I think, and in Romans 14. And in, in Corinthians, the, the, the issue is around meat that has been sacrificed to idols because in the, the ancient Greek world, pretty much most of the, the butchers operated out of pagan temples. Um, and in Romans, it's probably more to do with the mixing of Jewish and Gentile Christians, and so some uh, Christians with 
observing the Jewish food taboos and others not, and some observing the Jewish food uh, seasons and others not. Uh, and the question is, how do we share within those communities Paul's addressing, um, how do we come at these core ethics of eating, which is so fundamental to the community, um, where people have different issues of conscience, and he's quite clear, he, he, he recognizes that there's different consciences at stake. Um, people have come to different decisions around things. How do we hold that together as a community? And if you read read those chapters in 1 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians and Romans 14, it's not straightforward, but Paul is really grappling with it. It's He sees it as complex, but I think what is really clear about it is that uh, Paul has, he's not concerned that anyone ultimately is going to do the wrong thing and end up on the wrong side of God. He's got no purity concerns, mm. actually. His concerns are fundamentally about community when it comes to ethics. His concerns ultimately has to do what, when you think about the actions you're going to take in this context or that context, whether you eat with those people or don't eat with those people, how you, and how you do those things, what's it going to do? What's the impact going to be on others? And to choose as the best you can for for the other. Uh, and he's asking everyone to do that for each other, which is, I think, a very different way to think about ethics. Absolutely. It's completely counterposed to the kind of divisive ethical branding and rhetoric i suppose that goes on in wider culture it feels like where ethics is like uh i mean in some ways there's this performative self-identity fashion statement that i buy an ethical dress or a ethical jacket or my shoes come from people that are mm. paid well or whatever it is and some somehow that becomes only for certain people that want to want to go that fashion direction which is a strange yes. one but it's also this kind of like culture war thing of oh, these greenies, these hippies, these bleeding hearts that go for all the ethical products when really they ought to be saving their money, buying the cheap stuff and giving the money to whatever it is or spending their money in, in wiser ways for good investment or whatever the argument might be. There's this just like ethical, in air quotes, products become this sort of subset that then like you either go for those or you don't. But it's this kind of dividing line that, that says, oh, you're the good people or you're the bad people. So in that context, the example you've given, because for so many people, ethical consumption has become like an identity thing. I consume ethical things. And, and, and it's not just people that become sorts of groups of people and types of people. Yeah. And there's like a whole aesthetic around it that it's it's marketed in certain ways to certain people and not to others. Sure. Yeah. And. But that also means for other people, because they have a group identity, it means that they can't do those things. They can't think about ethical because that would mean that's a contravention of my identity. And so you can see where, you know, that becomes the whole when once that the consum ethical consumption becomes a, a, a mode of communicating identity to the world, it, it just actually creates division. Yeah, I can't identify with people doing that because I don't want to be like them or I don't want to be seen as one of them. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's such a mess. And then I feel like with Christians, um, a lot of the Christians I know, at least in my Christian sub circles and subculture, um, a lot of the things that are maybe on the, the wider ethical consumption radar are treated with a bit of suspicion or hesitancy amongst Christians that I know sometimes that they go, well, 
there are other things that are more important or there are other concerns here that we need to prioritize. We shouldn't get drawn into that kind of cultural pressure to consume in certain ways in order to be good, which is like, that's a good motivation. But I feel like it also leads to a lot of uh, deliberate ignorance or laxity in the question. So like I had... I had a conversation once with um, a fellow youth leader when we were both doing youth group uh, at my church where we were doing a, a night for the, the, the students that involved eggs, a lot of eggs, like 50 plus eggs. <laughs> and we go, to, we go to the store beforehand and we look at the eggs and he goes for the cage eggs and just starts piling them into the shopping trolley. And I go, whoa, hold on. Like, what about the free range eggs? And he goes, well... We've got a budget, you know, we, the youth group doesn't get paid a lot. And this is money that people have given the church in order to do ministry. We don't want to waste their money spending it on a more expensive product when there's a cheaper one here. And I sort of go, oh, well, I don't know, though, because does Jesus want chickens to be kept in cages in industrial farming the way that they are? Or would he prefer the free range eggs? <laughs> it's like, I don't really know. Um, my inclination is that it's that Jesus does care about animals and animal cruelty, but there's kind of this hesitance or suspicion in so many of these um, areas of ethical consumption that's kind of, oh, well, we want to be careful here. We don't want to just go the, the flow of the world that's, that's trying to be pure and trying to perform their identity and stuff because our identity is in Christ. But Jonathan, like, doesn't, uh, should Christians care about free range eggs? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, they should. Uh, the, uh, uh, or let's put that more simply. Uh, 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 there's just no question in my mind that people should think about the conditions under which chickens are kept to produce eggs for us. Uh, so anyone who's seen any footage of, of battery chickens and uh, on a large scale industrial uh, chicken farming, whether it's for meat or for, uh, for eggs, uh, and if you've seen that and you have some sort of decent view of the intrinsic worth of God's creation that comes from Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, uh, of all the, the intrinsic value of the creatures of the earth, uh, and if you've encountered animals and creatures and seen for yourself uh, that they are these things with their own life and their own intrinsic value, then um, it's it's just a no-brainer as far as uh, as I can see. Uh, it's the the thing is we we don't see it, and that's that's the whole point of ethical consumption is that we can choose caged eggs, even though that word is put in front of us, because we 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 actually have no people have no conception really. Uh, they they're not really pay, haven't paid attention to. Uh, or taken in what that really means in actual fact, what what the scale of industrial chicken farming is, and the scale, just the breathtaking scale of mistreatment of animals uh, that we see. It's the pretty staggering uh, ecological impact from the, the particularly the wastes that come out of that, uh, and also the impacts had on our food system by because it requires diverting grain to to feeding those chickens so on so forth so um absolutely <laughs> we should care about it um but here's the thing so so i've said yes we need to care about it so then the next switch is to say okay well that means eating caged eggs is wrong mm. but actually so i live in um in long alley in bendigo um 
probably one of the most disadvantaged suburbs in Bendigo or even Victoria. Uh, there's lots of people who are struggling to get by who they can't afford to buy free range eggs. Uh, and mm. they can they, they they exist in an economic system where they've ended up at one end, uh, and this is the system that we have. And they they are forced to buy cheap food. Uh, can anyone really say that they're doing the wrong thing by doing mm. that? It's not their fault that they're they're buying caged eggs and a, a food that's produced badly. It's the system's fault. So it, it's not the problem with them, their ethics. It's the problem with the ethics of the system. Uh, this is where we, I think, we just keep get we keep thinking about ethics individually and personally. It's about me. It's always about me. And actually, the way we've all been schooled into thinking about ethics since the Enlightenment, really, for the last three hundred years, and this is, I would argue, both Christians and non-Christians, is ultimately ethics is something which I choose and. You know, the line that we hear again and again, people saying, I have to do what's right for me. This concept that um, actually we, we the physical world out there is just a world of sort of brute facts. You know, there's uh, all the things that happen in the world. It's just facts. Um, there's nothing. Uh, the only moral implications to things are things that we decide are you know, that we've decided are, are moral questions or ethics. Humans decide. So ethics is basically something that uh, is something that's created by humans and we make out, we, we choose our own ethics. And the, the, the term for that in philosophy is called, it's voluntarism that we, um, so we have my ethics and this is my framework and you have yours. And what, where we've ended up in postmodern world is everyone is choosing their own ethics uh, and they're my ethics and so you you know you end up at those those the situations that you, you've already talked about at dinner parties where everyone's got their own ethical framework, and where my ethics has become my needs. You know, so you have a, mm. this uh, dinner parties of competing ethics uh, where people are saying, "Well, these are my ethics," and what they're really saying are, "These are my needs at this moment in time." And ha- the the question: be, uh, How do we live together <laughs> mm. in, in this world? Yeah, so like as as you say, how do we talk about it with other people or when we're going to someone's house or when we're hosting people and it has to do with food, how do we be gracious and sort of big big minded about it, not just about me? What like what's the way through there? Look, I I don't I, I don't have an answer, but I I I think I know what's at the heart of the answer and you already used one of the words which is gracious so grace is so grace i mean that's such a central new testament word right and it's all about uh the fact that we can't get it right and god doesn't expect us doesn't demand us to get it right that's the cent- you know right at the heart of the the good news is that god does not demand us to get it demand of us to get it all right to jump mm. through that god what God asks for us is to join God to follow, and the language of that is to follow Jesus, to 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 be in Christ, to join Christ, to to die with Christ, to ra- be raised to life in in with Christ. Um, so grace is at the center of that. That the word that goes along with that, which was actually really core for New Testament and early church, is the word hospitality, and actually to think about. A lot of these ethical questions are taking place in people's homes. 
It involves guests and hosts. Uh, and the central and essentially what Paul is calling uh, the, the early Christian communities to was an ethic of hospitality towards each other is finding ways to accommodate each other, to recognize that we have these differences and we've got to find ways to negotiate them and to be to be big about it and to be willing to give up something of ourselves. He's asking everyone to be prepared to give up something of themselves. So it's not like we can anyone can stand on the high horse and say, uh, I've I've got the ethics that are the best. Everyone should do what I'm doing. And in fact, mm. Paul talks about people, those of you who are stronger, and he's talking especially about those people who think they know have all the ethics lined up neatly. Uh, he says, you need to pay attention to those who are weaker and you need to make sure you can help them uh, live together with you. So it's he's asking the strong to give up their positions often. Uh, so that's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, and it makes me think like, I think genuinely... I started saying I was vegetarian and started going that hardcore about it because I loved meat so much that if I had just gone, oh, I'm going to cut back or I'm going to do things slightly differently, I wouldn't have made any difference at all. But that's really a weakness in terms of my conscience or my will in that I went, well, I know I'm not going to be able to navigate in a complex way yet because it's just not going to go that way for me with my tastes and my desires. So I, I made this like, hardcore line in the sand and I went all right I'm not going to cross that one but I really do find like six or seven years on I'm much more flexible mm. with my eating than I was in that first period where I was trying to define it for myself and yep. make it make a change and I think probably that is probably the terms to think about it still that my my food choices are still to a degree because of my weakness that I don't feel capable to navigate um reliably or effectively so i've made these brute distinctions but they are they are becoming yes, less over yes. time and i yeah i think that's a fascinating and and i i would say that's been my experience of you jacob that actually you're quite um flexible to context in terms of eating and certainly i would say so so i'm i'm not a vegan or vegetarian and i made a mental note not to justify why that is uh having heard you talk before so i won't do that um i'm not e either vegan or vegetarian uh but i've certainly when i've been i've seen people who i know are, are basically vegan and seen them in certain social contexts where they have uh just gone with the flow and and actually broken their vegan rules uh, they're vegan rules is that's the wrong way to put it but they, they're, they're basically vegan but they've eaten non-vegan food in a in a particular social context because uh, uh, they could just see it was going to be unreasonable in that this particular context often they're cross-cultural contexts where trying to explain any of this stuff is mm. near on impossible or at least very very useless in the moment and and potentially quite insulting that, that's right there's all sorts of contexts where it's just actually to demand something here and now would would be damaging uh, to mm. relationship, and where I, so I've got a lot of respect for those uh, people who have just been able to uh, who don't feel the need to stay pure. It's the ethics is not about purity; it's around doing the, the best they can when they can, and actually in that context, the best they they can do is to uh, to be hospitable uh, to either. <laughs> Uh, their guests, or often it's when they are guests of someone else. Um, 
But likewise, you know, it should be that um, for those of us who do eat meat, that there's the same uh, same um, question of w- w- needing to be hospitable to those who don't. So the, I, we have no problem with with cooking vegan food when we have people who who come over who are vegan. And I think so. The the question, the problem is when when it becomes about purity and people take hard lines with each other and. Uh, and I, that's when we start to see increasing social divisions and social tensions instead of uh, people seeking to be hospitable one to another and each seeking to accommodate, each being sensitive to context yeah, and, and having a... Um, and not seeing that all is at stake at every given point, mm. you know, that, that we're in this uh, eating situation and... Uh, I just have to go to the cross and whether I eat this thing or not, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that everything is not always at stake. Yeah, totally. And Especially I, re- I really steak is involved. <laughs> I really like um, what you've said in conversations before about purity with me, where purity is so much about how do I avoid being tainted? How do I avoid becoming bad? And so the the emphasis is always on what is bad. That's the question. Whereas really, because we're free, we should be asking, what is good? What, am, what exactly. can I do here? What can I seek here that's good? Not how can I just stay away from becoming that tainted way? And that is fundamentally the New Testament position. Because we are free, we do not need to justify ourselves. We are justified. We are called to, what does it mean now to love, actually? And that's because that's, where am I healed? Where am I actually saved? It's when I'm I'm called into the love of God, which is the love for the whole of creation. So I'm being saved by being drawn into a love. So the question is always, how, how do I best love at this moment? Mm. How do I show love for this person in this context? How do I show love for the person who I can't see, uh, my global neighbor? How do I show love for the earth? Um, and all, and then sometimes it's not quite it's not always clear and that's okay there are you know there are situations in which there's pl- so many cases uh either so in the in the in the world of ethical consumption where we have made uh decisions based upon the best information we have in our current analysis um that this is the best thing to do um but over time as more information to has come to light or someone else has given us a different perspective we've changed our mind on that we thought actually maybe this is a better thing a better way of coming at that you don't have to get, we're not being asked to get it right it's to try and in any given context do the best we can to seek seek the good absolutely so just to finish then like we've talked a lot about the problems or the risks with ethical consumption but both of us are still here saying we ought to think about the way we use and buy things What's a constructive angle that we can orient ourselves towards instead of this, what is bad? How do I avoid doing bad? But as we're trying to seek the good, what what are the reasons to pursue ethical consumption and does it actually make a difference? Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and uh, perhaps to go out on... Yeah, so I think... Um, the, there's a, a couple of things. One, we've we've talked a lot about uh, uh, needing to to get away from the idea of ethical consumption as a way of um, avoiding doing wrong the wrong thing. <laughs> um, another another thing to avoid, and then I'll get to the the reasons why we the good reasons to do it. Another reason not to do ethical consumption is the idea that by me buying fair trade or me buying organic food, 
I am uh, doing what's needed to save the world in terms of I'm reducing my footprint and therefore reducing the footprint of humanity. And you'll get some economist come along and tell you, actually, you're not making a uh, a drop in the ocean in terms of your, the global impact. So why bother? And if your reason is that because if that's the reason that because what I'm doing now has to have changed the world and made it an effective action for addressing climate change or or solving world hunger or something, um, then there's plenty of people who are going to tell you where well, you're kidding yourself. And and you are. It, it It's not uh, in on in and of itself. It's not um, say uh, solving climate change or solving uh, world hunger. It is doing a bunch of other things, uh, and, and and it's not just one thing. And and this is, I, I again and again, I, in in all ethics, um, if you only tr- think about it in one way, then it's probably an unhealthy way because there's always more than one thing going on in, in what when we talk about morals or ethics. Mm. So so one thing is that we're doing uh, is that just as people who who are limited people in the world who act in a world of limitations we are acting within our powers and within the options available to us to choose the best for someone else somewhere else um so at a very small scale uh by choosing organic you're supporting an organic farmer someone who's trying to Try, trying to farm in a better way that that is a real thing you're trans you're actually doing something you're supporting something directly uh an effort towards uh people uh changing how our economic production works uh likewise with fair trade your trade you're supporting real people in real places um okay it's limited sure but you know whoever said that um, you shouldn't give a hungry person food because you you're not going to solve world hu- hunger by that. Mm. Uh, that that's it's a not a good way to think about it. So yes, we're we're doing something, um, and it's sure it's limited, but that's okay. But actually, um, the other uh, thinking about it in a bigger picture, that, um, and this has always been at the heart of ethical consumption. It's never just about individual acts; it's about us doing ethical acts together and these actually being a political act so right at the heart so uh, of ethical consumption has always been some sort of political movement uh, and so um, perhaps most people don't know you ethical consumption really started with christians way back when uh, it's been going on christians have been doing it for a very long time uh, and you know for the classic example is the the young Quaker women and girls who stopped in the the late 1800s who stopped having uh, tea in the, uh, sugar in their tea because of that sugar was produced in by by slaves in the Caribbean mm. and they did that and and they started having tea parties where where there was no sugar and declining sugar and that got more people coming on board slowly bit by bit over time and people rejecting food and people just you know that seems like a just a it was a drop in the ocean. Oh, them not having sugar made no difference to slavery. But after about three decades of of doing that, that had reached a social movement of proportions whereby we have the first, around about 1810, the banning of the slave trade. So that, that was about three decades of ethical consumption action uh, to lead to enough public opinion where in parliament would support uh, banning the slave trade and there was about another two and a half to three decades before they actually banned slavery full stop 
So we need to think about it as a political movement that takes place over time. We don't change something just now by this individual act. It's actually by the accumulation of people doing it over time. We've seen that with um, plastic shopping bags recently. You know, it started off, um, I remember, um, so some of the people we came into contact with in the late 90s who were seemed to be sort of marginal green freaks who would take their bags to the <laughs> own bags to the <laughs> shopping center and decline all the extra packaging and do it all themselves and they were they were way out in front but leading a movement that's now become normalized and now we see coals and woolies uh uh, and state governments even moving towards banning it's single single use plastics nothing's perfect but um but the because of ethical actions taken by more and more people we see bit by bit over time things have changed and so we're we're really looking at a, a political movement and also a long-term movement of what you could call social conscientization raising the consciousness level of society so that's something even if in, in any given moment every given year any given act um it it uh, you're not don't feel like you're doing much bit by bit just by being out there it's changing changing the conversation we have so there's all sorts of um bigger picture reasons why uh, it's good to be involved in ethical consumption but then uh, i guess finally at the most personal level I, it comes down to what we've been talking about uh actually the thing uh that is good for us is the thing that's good for the world that is in in new testament faith uh we're being saved by christ into christ and christ has come out of love for the world and christ's work is to save the world and therefore we're being saved into that and and so Whenever we move in any factor of life in the direction of love, we try to love in this way or that way, we're moving into what Christ is doing in the world. And when we're doing that with our, how we spend our money at the supermarket uh, and when we're choosing this product, and we're, we're doing it out of love rather than out of trying to stay pure and not be tainted uh, by what's wrong, then we're participating in Christ's work in the world. We're participating in love. And that's... Um, that's the thing that heals us. Hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a good note to end on. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you liked this episode or thought it was worth listening to, why not send it along to a friend? And in the meantime, if you want more good news economics, check out Mana Matters. That's the quarterly publication of Managum, and it's available online for free at managum.org.au. Yeah, .au, managum.org.au. Managum is a ministry funded entirely by donations from people like maybe those listening to this podcast. And if you'd like to support our work, that same website is the place to go. Many thanks to all of you who support our work. Jonathan, thank you for all your insights and for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And thank you, Jacob. We'll catch you guys next time. 